Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's Lounge of the CWE. I'm Stephanie. I'm here with Chanel and Natasha. Say hi. Hey. Hi. And on this week's episode, we will be talking about what we're doing to sustain us during quarantine, the hot gossip, and our top, our couch conversation for this week will be about Halloween and spooky season. And we're also going to be answering your question from an Emory student. Natasha, what are you reading, watching, and listening to? Um, well, right now I'm watching Shameless on Netflix. I know a lot of people don't like it because it's kind of sad, but maybe I'm exposing myself a little, but it's kind of relatable to like my childhood. So it's honestly kind of comforting. Um, I'm reading The Memory Police by Yoko Ogawa. It's like a dystopian sci-fi book. And I'm reaching the end of it. And a lot of the reviews online said that the ending was kind of unsatisfactory compared to like the rest of the book and I'm kind of getting that vibe which kind of sucks because I was enjoying it for like the majority of the beginning and middle of the book but that's okay and then I'm listening to Se Regalan Duas podcast it's a Latin American feminist podcast the title means like your doubts are being given away so it talks about a lot of issues that like millennial and gen z women kind of go through in life it's has a similar vibe to what this one does it's like very chill and fun but also relatable and definitely talks about real issues that we deal with very cool chanel what are you reading watching and listening to okay so i am still doing the halloween thing where i'm watching a bunch of different halloween movies um but i've also gotten into um, I don't know. I find a lot of comfort in documentaries. And so I watched Disclosure. Um, that's the one with Laverne Cox. Um, and she kind of goes over the history of um, like the trans community in Hollywood. And I found that really fascinating. If I was teaching again, I would use that in the classroom. But that was that's really good. Um, and I watched half of Reversing Row, but I kept screaming at the screen halfway through. So I couldn't I couldn't finish that. But maybe one day I will. I am listening to um, Nas is Illmatic. Nas is my favorite rapper. And so sometimes when I'm just looking for a way to decompress, I go back to the old school hip hop. Um, and so I'm listening to Illmatic and I'm about to start reading. So I haven't started yet, but I'm about to start reading the that latest Hunger Games book, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. I read all the other um, Hunger Games things. And so I'm excited to to read this prequel um so that's me what about you stephanie i am also on this halloween kick um like my boyfriend and my roommates are really into horror movies so i've watched like the first chunk of the autopsy of jane doe i've also watched the first chunk of creep and i think they want to watch creep too but they're those movies are so scary um i'm also watching legend of Korra on my own because <laughs> Um, I miss Avatar and I want to get back into it. And so what better way to do it than watch Legend of Korra? And then um, this movie came out on Netflix called Over the Moon, but it's a Chinese-American animation. And it's about sort of a old Chinese sort of folktale about um, the moon and the moon goddess and like one 
like current present day Chinese American girls like relationship with the moon goddess. So I'm really you've watched it or you're gonna watch it. I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna watch that one too. And then did y'all see the new Disney princess movie? Yes. That um, joint looks so yeah. dope. What is it? Um Raya. Raya and the Last Dragon, the search for the last dragon. Yeah, something like that. I'm excited for it. She looks like a total badass. So yeah. Um, and I'm also reading Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong, which is about Asian American identity. And I've been listening to this new song that just dropped by Saweetie and Janae Aiko, which is Back to the Streets. That's how it slaps on a different level. It really does. That's a good song. Yeah. She brought out like old San Francisco rap, hip hop. I was like, let's go NorCal, let's go. Anyways, yeah. So let's move on to the hot gossip. What is the hot gossip? Tell me everything. Yeah, so for this week's segment of Tell Me the Hot Gossip, we're just going to be talking about some things that we've seen in the news that are interesting to us. And so what I wanted to talk about is DC just released a photo or design, I guess, of the new Batwoman costume. And a lot of people are celebrating it because it looks really cool as it is, but also because the actress playing Batwoman is going to be the first Black woman to portray Batwoman in any live action movie. People are really celebrating the way that the costume accentuates her figure and also includes a character with an Afro. And so people really love it because it's celebrating black girl beauty without, you know, dealing with stereotypes or trying to make her seem whitewashed or anything like that. Like they're really celebrating her features and her beauty, which I really love. Uh, Stephanie, what about you? So the Supreme Court just confirmed Amy Coney Barrett's nomination. Um, I When I heard the news, I was like, y'all really going to try this like right before the election? Y'all not going to even let the people sort of have a say or decide like what the Supreme Court nom is going to look like, especially when like super red seats like Georgia have two Senate seats open, which would really impact, you know, the hearing um, or the like the ultimate decision. Uh, of the Supreme Court nominations. So it's really frustrating to see how like how much of our current political sort of climate is f- so much focused on like how much the Democrats or how much the Republicans Republicans can get power rather than like who is going to be who is going to do the best to like service the people. Yeah, and I think also the Supreme Court is like one of the only bodies I think where they have such a high amount of power, but nobody yeah. voted on at all by the people. Like the, left, the lifetime tenure and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's like crazy. Uh, what about you, Chanel? So <clears throat> I was on Twitter the other day and saw that Kim Kardashian has done the most tone deaf thing. <laughs> But this is like on brand for her. Like she's really reenacting that meme of her where it's like, Kim, people are dying. But she took her family to a private island to get away from all the stress of the world. And, um, you know, right here during COVID, a way for them to decompress and relax. Nothing wrong with that. You got money. Go ahead and do big money things. Where the issue is, is that she tweeted it. And it's like, let them eat cake or... Sorry for you brokies that just have to, you know, deal with like, oh my God, the massive unemployment rate, the amount of people who for the very first time are having to, you know, stand in food lines, 
Um, so I have a puppy and he's back here wilding out and um, we just got to make it work because this, this is what life is like now. You can't go into private studios and record podcasts. You do them from your son's bedroom with your puppy growling. But um, yeah, I just thought it was like completely out of touch. And the one thing that I'm hoping we can get out, well, there's a lot of things I'm hoping come out of this terrible moment in history, but if we could just be done with celebrities, like, I mean, they should be there to entertain us and make us feel good. But this idea that they should be anybody that we look up to or value or look to for a moral compass or anything like they are just, we should just be done with celebrity culture, celebrity worship, because this was just really quite terrible. And then, so today I see that Chloe has had COVID, like, I guess on this next episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians, she's going to talk about like what it was like to have COVID earlier and we're going to see her going through it. But I feel like the timing of that release is because of the pushback they've been getting around them taking this trip. And so it's like, oh, we took the trip because we almost lost Chloe this year. And this is why. And again, do what you want to do, but you have to be thoughtful about what it means in this time to be tweeting you know, such privilege when people are really, really struggling. So that's what I brought to the table. The good old Kardashians, they never disappoint. I mean, this reminds me so much of like when Trump had COVID, but him having COVID and the treatment that he gets is like significantly different from any of the treatment that like a normal person would get under COVID. In the same way that I'm sure Khloe Kardashian had access and was able to personally finance a lot of like the best doctors and like get the medical attention she needs. Whereas people like who actually don't have healthcare are like literally have like are kind of fucked. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. On that note, let's move on to our couch conversation. It's time for our couch conversation. All right. So today we are a few days out from Halloween, which we all love. And that's why we're doing a Halloween episode. So in the physical center for women, we always do something for Halloween. It tends to, you know, be about witches or something, but we're going to do something for Halloween. So today we're just going to do a Halloween version of our podcast. And so we have a few things that we want to talk about. But the first one is witches. What's the deal with witches? So I'm going to pose a question to Natasha and Stephanie. What are your take on this? We're seeing a big resurgence in witches. What are your thoughts about it? Let's start with you, Stephanie. Um, I love witches. I love spooky stuff. And I love everything Halloween related. And it just seems to me that like this resurgence of sort of witchcraft and focus on witchiness is also, I think, a parallel to sort of how the feminist movement is really like uprising these days, where it feels like a lot of women, they're not, they're pushing back against like a lot of traditional forms of sort of religious practice that are very sort of patriarchal, very traditional, and they're focused on sort of doing witchy stuff like chants and spells and that kind of stuff, both as a way to like connect ancestrally with um, I don't know, other women or other family members in their past, but also as a way to maintain a little bit of autonomy in this sort of mysterious, like spooky space, you know, where this sort of space of unknown is oftentimes filled by religion. Um, but there's not a lot of space in religious practice for women. It seems like a lot of women are also finding sort of alternatives and finding forms of autonomy through like practicing witchcraft, which I think is dope. Let me actually back up. 
I'm curious to know, what is your first encounter with witches? What did you learn about them? Um, I know for myself, you know, a lot of it was, well, probably first cartoons. And it was like a green person flying on a broom, a green woman flying on a broom with a water on her nose. And that was a witch. But then we learned about the Salem witch trials. And that was the first time that, you know, I knew that like, oh, wow, there there are possibly real witches or there was a way that, you know, people were being accused of being witches. So I'm, I'm curious for y'all, like what, what was your first encounter or understanding of what a witch was? Your first, yeah, encounter with witches. Natasha, um, do you want to take this one? Yeah, I can. Um, I'm from the Caribbean. My family's Puerto Rican. So I think for me, my first experience with witches was like the religion Santeria and Santeros and Santeras and things like that. And I think depending on your own family's religious background, a lot of people either really condemn Santeria as a practice or they'll celebrate it. And so a lot of people who are more um, conservative Catholics, for example, will point a finger at Santeros and say like, oh, that's brujeria, that's witchcraft. And they'll really think that it's this like, devil worshiping evil practice but for me and my family like it was something that we thought was cool and we celebrated it and it was just something that we talked about in our house is you know this is just another religion and it, it has its own sacred spiritual practices it's not just a bunch of like crazy lunatic women hiding in their basement like sacrificing chickens or something like that like it was it did have a very deep spiritual meaning because I think too, a lot of people don't know as much about these religions that aren't necessarily talked about as much as like Christianity, for example. But I mean, they have their own God and like saints almost. And like, it, it's, a, it's an organized religion, you know, it's not like a pastime or something like that. So I would say that my first experience with witches was a pretty positive one. It was one that definitely celebrated this sort of femininity that witches reclaim when they do these different practices and rituals and things like that. What about you, Stephanie? I think mine is like kind of similar where like I was such a weird nerdy kid that I would like read the encyclopedia from front to back. So my first like introduction to witches was through Greek mythology with um, Circe and Circe's Island. So Circe is like a very powerful witch in um, ancient Greek. Yeah. in um, ancient Greek mythology and a lot of what her story is, based on is the fact that she turns men that displease her into different animals. So it's already like a very, I think a very feminist reading of sort of witches and the way that they utilize their power against like the patriarchy in very like physically manifested ways. And that's like my first introduction was like, this bitch is dope. And then for the next like couple of Halloweens, I literally was a witch for every Halloween because I thought she was so cool. Um, so yeah, I like, I really, I don't, I see witches a lot of the times depicted in very negative light lights, especially in like older movies, like, um, witches by Roald Dahl and like Hocus Pocus. They all have like that creepy ass hook nose and like warts and they seem like very unpleasant and they have some weird, like, um, obsession with children. But I think a lot of depictions that I've integrated into my life about witches have always been like really positive depictions of like women with magical powers. I think this is where the age thing may kick in, right? Because I was a kid in the 80s and the 90s, and this is pre-Harry Potter. And so I wonder how much that 
representation as being such an important part of the culture when you all were coming up as well also helped to shift representations of witches. Um, but I did not have positive representation of witches. I didn't. Um, and then in terms of those like traditional African religions, like voodoo and hoodoo and Santeria and things like that, they were, I mean, we, we, maybe got some messages around voodoo, but it was like, not that people didn't believe it was real because people would warn you like, yeah, they, they put some voodoo on her or she put some voodoo on it. Well, usually she put some voodoo on him or something, um, but it was very negative, right? And it was seen as those kinds of religious, religious practices were seen as backwards um, in ways that, you know, Catholicism, which also uses a lot of water and beads and, you know, praying to different deities, did not get that kind of backlash. And so you could see the colonialism um, wrapped up in there, but yeah, no positive representations of witches. Um, and again, like I do remember that unit on the Salem witch, witch trial, but it wasn't until a few years ago when our former student worker, Franny, showed a documentary around witches that it clicked to me. Like I was, and I think it was because, you know, all of the things that were happening around um, protests for Black Lives Matter and things that I was able to clearly see the connection between how the, those Salem witch trials um, and the violence done to women, the murders that were done to women, you know, who were deemed as witches was very similar to what we saw with black people being lynched and that the 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 label of which and then what happens to you when you're labeled as that was a way of keeping women in their place like it was so clear to me the way violence was used to to keep women in our place and so that kind of blew my mind and so what i see I see this resurgence of witchcraft as being incredibly brave but also super feminist because it is about we get to decide for ourselves. So it's not just about the worship and the paying attention to the moon and Mercury retrograde and crystals, but it's also about <laughs> Stephanie's face. But I think it's also about, you know, being different because these were women who tended to not be married, to not have children for whatever reason. And they were, uh, you know, they were a bit more vocal, uh, but they didn't fit the box of what a woman was supposed to be. And therefore they were determined to be witches and, and the sentence for that, the sentence for breaking the norm, it was death. Um, so I'm fascinated with, with this resurgence in, in witchcraft. So, okay, so we kind of talked about it, but why do you think witchcraft gets demonized in the way that it does? Or even if we you know are moving past that, I still think that it's like a thing that people kind of do in secret, right? People have little, altars and nobody knows that they're doing this thing. And it's kind of like a, a little sub community of um, people who are doing this. So why do you think it's demonized when other kind of religious practices aren't? And what do you think is pulling them out of the shadows a little more? I think I can probably speak to your latter question a little bit better than sort of the former, because I'm personally, like, I don't really practice a religion. Uh -huh. Um, but I think like what's probably pulling a lot of like witchy stuff out of the shadows is a lot of like the hopelessness that we see today, um, especially in this political climate. Like I know at least for me, like I do like weird altar shit and like rituals and stuff partially because it's like, it's like a source of hope in the same way that other religions are similarly sources of hope, but at least like with witchcraft or with doing like these rituals, 
there is a particular connection to nature and the earth as well as like a connection to other women that I don't really see in other organized religion very similarly. Um, and I also think it's like, we want explainers for like what is going on in our lives that we can't control without turning to these pieces of organized religion that are also like very political. Like it's very difficult to say that religion and politics are separate. And a lot of like these different faiths have also like, I think very political notions or connotations attached to them. And I think even if witchcraft does have like this sort of, if witchcraft is politicized, I would say it's politicized in a very feminist way, or at least that's how I'm reading it in the present day. And sort of that's what I would want to attach myself to. Yeah, I think I can answer a little bit about why witchcraft gets demonized in other religious practices is I think it has to do with the fact that at least traditionally witchcraft has always been practiced by non-white people. So black people and indigenous people, at least mm -hmm. that I have knowledge to. So like even now when you see like witchcraft on TikTok or, you know, social media or movies or anything like that, that it is a lot of the times white women who are being portrayed as witches and sort of appropriating a lot of these rituals and traditions. And I've also seen too that um, when white women use different like materials or do certain spells or things like that that are sacred to a specific culture like today so a lot so one example would be using sage um in an unsustainable fashion when that is something that native american people depend on for a lot of their own spiritual and religious practices i've seen that when indigenous people try to speak up about that and try to say you know hey don't use this like it's actually sacred like it's not just something you get like you don't just go and buy sage at Walmart or something and then burn it in your house. It's like important to us that they do get a lot of backlash and you have, you know, sometimes a lot of white women will get defensive and say that they're gatekeeping a plant or something like that. And so I think that when you have any sort of religion that doesn't follow Christianity, at least here, because that's like the predominant religion, that it automatically gets demonized. And that's, I think that's why you see people saying that witches are like like what I was saying before about like Santeria and what Chanel was saying before about voodoo, that you get these different religions that aren't practiced by Christians and aren't practiced by white people and people automatically see it as evil or they'll try to misinterpret it or they'll try to like trivialize it so it makes it seem like voodoo and Santeria and you know different Native American religions aren't real religions, it's just people doing weird scary shit in their closet or something like that which you know obviously isn't fair because that's not how it works like a lot of these religions and you know witchcraft and all of these different traditions and stuff like they are historical and they are sacred and there's a deep and rich history to that but i think a lot of it does go down to racism to be honest yeah, I think something that you said made me, well, one of you, um, about the control, like being able to have, it, it was you, Stephanie, like something, you know, that you feel like you can control when the world feels really uncontrollable. And I think that that is what 
what pulled um, pressed people to this kind of, you know, well, I, I can I can use the earth. I can, you know, use nature, um, things like that to pull on. What's interesting for me is um, I shared before, I don't know in what space, but that I kind of came to Christianity in grad school because grad, I think on this podcast, I shared that because grad school was so hard and I felt like I needed to give a lot of this up to something because it was like, I need something else, something else, some other kind of entity to control this because this is just too much, too heavy. And so I wanted to believe in a higher power that was working on my behalf. And now <laughs> I'm feeling like, can I get some onyx? Will that do a thing? What can I, you know, put on this altar? Like, do, what do y'all want? Can I pray to my ancestors? It feels like I'm in a different place where it's like, no, I, I actually want to have some control over this or feel like, you know, I can move things. And, and I do think that a lot of the return has to do with the state of affairs right now and that people are like, nothing is working we got to go into our deep resolves and, you know, do a look back. So I don't know. I just think it's fascinating. Um, so, all right. So we talked enough about witches, but Halloween isn't just about witches, though it's a lot about witches. Um, let's talk about costumes. So there are two parts of this costume conversation that I think we need to have. One is about cultural appropriation. And one is about sexy costumes and whether or not sexy costumes are feminist. So let's start with sexy costumes, I think. Are they feminist, yes or no? Okay, I think that's such a tricky question because it always, like, at least for me, it always comes down to, like, who's making this costume? Who, like, are you wearing it because you want to wear it or are you wearing it because there's, like, some expectation that you need to be sexy on Halloween? Or... Is it like, can you be sexy and use that as an exploration of your sexuality? Or is it just because it's like, or do you just want to look sexy? Like, it's such a weird combination of like all of these dynamics. And it feels like this is such like a thing that women always have to think about when they want to dress sexually in general, or they're exploring their sexuality in general, is like thinking through all of these things. And honestly, like my hot take is dress sexy do whatever you want, but don't buy the stupid costumes that you see at like Party City. Because <laughs> a, they're poorly made. B, they're super unsustainable. And C, it's like the corporations that come up with <laughs> ideas are literally just assigning you like, this is what sexuality looks like. So if you're going to be sexy, mm. go in costume and make it weird. I was a sexy Grim Reaper for Halloween freshman year and it really worked for me, you know? And I made my own costume. There was a cloak and I did my whole face up like a skull and I stole a stick from low water and used it as a side. <laughs> you can really do it. Yeah, I think this is a question that we ask a lot. I mean, today we're talking about it in terms of Halloween costumes, but I think as feminists, we're constantly asking like, is this empowering or is it objectifying? So I think like that's the heart of the question. You know, I think we're asking it around makeup. You know, are we doing it because, you know, it's perpetuating patriarchy or to appeal to men or is it a form of play that allows us to you know own our bodies in different ways so I think I think that's at the heart of this question our sexy you know the sexy nurse sexy kiss it, kitten sexy grim reaper is that a form of objectification for women or is it a form of empowerment what do you think Natasha I'm honestly more inclined to say that, yes, that sexy costumes are feminist, because the way that I think about it is 
I think that feminism at its core comes down to giving people the choice to do whatever they want with their lives, with their body, with whatever. And so I think if somebody chooses to wear a sexy costume, regardless of whether it's for themselves or if even they are trying to appeal to men, like I think if they genuinely want to look sexy, however, you know, how in whatever way that that means for them, even if they are trying to appeal to the male gaze or whatever, even if that's not something that maybe we agree with or that we personally want to do for ourselves, if that's the choice that they're making, it's not really our place to judge. And so I think that as long as it is down to their, like if it's what they genuinely want to do, I don't think the reason behind it should dictate whether or not it's considered feminist or not. I think that the line can be drawn if, like sort of what Stephanie was saying before, like, is this something that you feel pressured to do? Like, are you only doing it because you think it's what you're supposed to do or because somebody is telling you to do it or because like all your friends are dressing sexy or something like that? Then I would say, you know, don't do it if you genuinely don't want to wear something that makes you uncomfortable. But I think also sexy is pretty subjective. So I think one person can think that a sexy costume is modest and another person will think that a sexy costume means that more skin is showing and I think that both individuals can feel sexy in their own way so I think that as long yeah as long as it's the choice of the person and they're doing it because they genuinely want to then I would say that it's a feminist choice I'm really torn um because I grew up in an era where there was like BET uncut videos and, you know, there, there was a lot of conversation around video vixens and um, the objectification that we saw in like Nelly's tip drill video and things like that. And I remember having conversations because <clears throat> what a lot of the rappers were saying is that these women chose to do this. How yeah, they they came to the video shoot and that credit card scene, and I know I'm saying things that like y'all may not know, but the, the tip drill one is a pretty famous video. So you can Google these these conversations around the video, but there is a scene where a credit card was swiped between a woman's butt <laughs> cheeks and then she starts twerking, right? And so um Nelly, you know, it's like, well, that was her idea. They they came to us with these ideas, but these were again like nameless women. Nobody knew them. They were there for the video. And I constantly thought about how, even if that was an individual choice, how those women's choices mapped on to my body. And for people who then encountered me as a Black woman, but before they met me, they met those images of what it meant to be a Black woman. And so I, I, I constantly grapple with the connection between as feminine, like individual choice? And are we building that, you know, is that the goal is for women to be able to choose what they do with their body? I fully believe in bodily autonomy, but at the same time, the personal is political and, you know, the things that I do may make life harder for other women. And, you know, I don't know about costumes. I'm just saying that, like, as we talk about this, the you know, is it objectifying? Is it empowering that that's where I'm really, really torn is, yes, I think, you know, do you, boo, it's your body. And as I was saying in our prep meeting, you know, 
your body will change. You better do it while you like it. <laughs> like, I'm so glad that I wore belly tops and halter tops and little short shorts back when I was young because I will not wear those things now. I had the belly button ring the whole nine. I did that. And I'm really glad that I that I got to do it then. Um, but at the same time, I'm thinking about, you know, the some larger feminist goals and, you know, whether or not this is a good look um, for women as a whole. I don't know. I mean, I think too, like a really unfair part of all of this, that's probably not our fault, it's more society's fault, is that there is this pressure on women that everything that we do mm -hmm. like affects the way that other women are seen, which that's like just not fair in general, because even if like what you're saying with the music video, like if that was that girl's individual choice and she wanted to do that, there's no reason why that should dictate how men see every other black woman on the planet because it's it like that doesn't like not all of it's not every single woman is the same and like even with me and my sisters that we're triplets and so people assume that all of us are exactly the same personality wise like we have different degrees of modesty that we prefer to look like like and that just doesn't mean anything like I can I should be able to dress how I want without people making assumptions about my sisters or my friends or every other woman in my race or something like that. Like, and that's, I think that's all a part of what you were talking about with the Halloween costumes too, is that like, if one girl wants to dress a certain way, she wants to wear like booty shorts and a bra and she feels comfortable doing that. And that's how she views herself being sexy. That should not define, that shouldn't make people think that every other girl on the planet enjoys doing that. And if they don't, then they're a prude or if they do, then they're a slut or whatever. Like one woman's actions should define every single other woman's actions just because, you know, she's a woman and she's a woman. So obviously they're the same, like that doesn't make any sense. I think also like dressing sexually on Halloween also might be like the one chance that a lot of women like feel safe or feel com more comfortable to do so because like the entire point of Halloween is like you can dress up as whatever you want and you don't really have to be yourself. And so like using sort of dressing sexy as an exploration of sexuality when normally you might not have the same opportunity, I think like that is a very feminist reading of like dressing very skanky on Halloween. And I think this is also the same way for like men being able to also explore their sexuality and femininity by like also being able to dress sexy or also like maybe wearing like drag costumes and that kind of stuff. Like these are all like uh, chances for exploration that people have access to on like a very particular day where they feel like relatively safer to do so. And I think like being sexy and dressing more scantily, scantily, um, I think that's like a really Halloween becomes a really good access point for sort of exploration on that front. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like in a world where we are confined to such rigid definitions and, you know, all power to the women who feel comfortable doing that on a daily. But there are tons of people who don't feel, you know, safe or, you know, can't are afraid of how they'll be labeled that Halloween becomes a, a place of freedom to to explore your sexuality and your body. I'm also thinking about your counterpoint to what I was saying, Natasha. And, you know, it feels like um, a lot of marginalized folks have to, ha 
constantly question what their role is in terms of um, breaking stereotypes that are defined by, about them, right? So do, do you have to live your life in a way that's like, well, I don't want people to think of me as a lazy Black man, so I'm going to work extra hard so that, you know, other people don't see me in that way. Or so I don't want people to think that women are readily available and, you know, just 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 here for sex and for the pleasure and desire of men. Therefore, I'm not going to dress in the way that I want to dress. Like, that's a lot of pressure for, for any marginalized group to put on themselves. But I do think it's a question that all of us who, have, who are, you know, in marginalized communities have asked ourselves in a variety of ways. So Stephanie, you brought up this exploration of different identities and you know drag and things like that. So where's the line though? How how do you go from um, trying to come up with a cool creative costume that nobody else is gonna have and you're about to kill the game to like now you're appropriating people's culture? What do we? I don't even think this is a discussion. Maybe this is like hot take you know, rapid fire. What what do we want to say to people so that they don't, you don't be that person um, circulating on social media because you don't put on blackface? If it's a cultural object or a cultural item or cultural representation from somebody else's culture that isn't your own and you're literally just putting it on because you think you look good, maybe don't do that. <laughs> Actually, just don't do that, period. Don't do that. Yeah, I think if you're going to ha- pretend to dress up like a different race, don't. Because there's no reason why you need to be doing that. Like, And most of the costumes aren't even accurate. Like the Pocahontas costume that everybody always does every year, a sexy Pocahontas. Pe- Native Americans did not dress like that. Cleopatra, that's not what she wore. All these Greek goddesses, whatever they were, that's not, like, it's not what they did, like, if you're not any of like if you're not black, don't paint your face black. If you're not Native American, don't put on a like a, <laughs> a brown bra or something and then put a tattoo on your arm and then pretend to be Pocahontas. Like I feel like it's a lot simpler than people try to like I think when people get caught culturally appropriating a costume, they always act so confused and shocked and like with all these like fake apologies that come after. And I'm like, did you really think that that was like, you didn't question this at all. You just thought, yeah, I am going to paint my face black. That'll be <laughs> fine. But like y'all be culturally appropriating and looking like clowns. You might as well dress like a <laughs> whole clown anyways. The fuck? <laughs> might as well go as a clown. I really do think that sometimes, I, I think a lot of people do know what they're doing. And there there must be some kind of a rush in the possibility of getting caught. Um you know, I don't know. I, I think it's a lot. I think, um, so little kids want to be like a million things. So like when, when Frozen was all the rage, there were a bunch of little black girls dressed like Elsa, white girls dressed like Elsa. And like the black girls weren't putting on white makeup. I didn't put that on my daughter. She put on, she looked a mess with a blonde wig on and you know a blue dress but i didn't think to now like oh we got to take the costume all the way but when grown people want to be jay-z and beyonce and they want to go like that why do you need to like why you got to take it that far we would know that you're beyonce just based on the outfit we we know beyonce you don't have to paint your face and go that extra mile it's unnecessary and you do look like a clown so i think that that's also important to to like 
remember, and I remember when um, Moana came out. So that was all the rage and all the little girls had Moana costumes and my daughter was loving it. And we loved Moana because Moana had curly hair and we don't really see many curly hair princesses. And really quickly, we went from celebration to my daughter being like, I wish I had hair like Moana. So I had to say, well, hold, hold on. You are African Moana. <laughs> like you, She's Polynesian. That is not you. And so this is more of a inspired by Moana kind of look that you're going for, not that you're trying to exactly be her. So I think grownups can learn that lesson too. But cultural appropriation is never okay. In the Asian internet, if you're if you second guess it, if you're not quite sure, you you probably shouldn't do it. But you can also Google it. You could Google it. Is it okay to do blah blah blah? And Google will probably tell you no. So All right. Um, I think that's it on our Halloween costume piece. So the last thing that we're going to talk about for our couch conversation is Halloween during the pandemic. So want to end on a positive kind of a note um, and ask y'all, what are your plans? How are you planning on celebrating Halloween during this pandemic and staying safe? What you going to do? Stephanie. So I bleached and dyed my hair literally for Halloween. This purple like bang situation is specifically because of spooky season. I can't go out. Like I'm quarantined in Colorado with some of my friends. And so I'm not planning on going out. I don't think this is, it's a good idea to trick or treat or anything. Like I'm not trying to stop by each individual home. And especially if I have COVID or something like that, I'll be spreading that shit to everybody. Plus you, you dunk your hand in that public community ass bowl of candy Y'all are done for. I'm serious. So um, somebody invented a shoot though that like, I heard. <laughs> yeah, it can, I it heard can like that. you know send it down, send it down a slide into the kids' bowl. So yeah, but at the end of the day, there's like no really like safe way to do it. Um, like the like how you would normally do it. But I'm actually going camping on Saturday, so. Um, my roommates and I are like partying on Friday and because we're all quarantined together where um, it'll be like fine. Um, but we have a dog in the house. So the dog is the queen bee and we're all going to be worker bees, really but we're all going to be, we're all going to be slutty worker bees, <laughs> you know? Um, and then I also, or I also ordered a cake from Cold Stone, like an ice cream cake and it says Halloween cake on it. So we're going to eat that cake too. What about you, Natasha? Do you have any plans? Um, not really. My family doesn't really celebrate Halloween, but my sisters and I are, like trying to change that in this year and in recent years. You can't tell at all, but I also tried to dye my hair purple, but my hair is too dark and you can't see it <laughs> at all because the box said that it would work on black hair and that was a lie. If they meant dark brown, they should have said dark brown, but it didn't show up. So I think we're just going to like make cupcakes or something like just do something fun and like watch a movie because I live in Miami and so there's a lot of people and a lot of people who also don't wear masks and things like that so like we're not trying to go out in public or anything so have you tried that that colored hair wax no I haven't I because it works really well I wanted something that was like more permanent like oh yeah no it doesn't last but then I didn't want to bleach it because my hair is like jet black and I don't want it to fall out. So it didn't really work, but. Now the color hair wax works well. It's It dries hard though. So you'd want to wash it out or you could get like clip-ins. 
and do like purple streaks. That's an option if you don't want to bleach it. But I'm sorry it didn't take. Um, okay, so I actually do, I'm pretty good at programming and planning virtually and during this pandemic. So for my wow. family, who would have thought? Know, who would have thought? Who would have thought? But for my family, we actually are having another pandemic party. So I threw this epic party for my kid's birthday. They share a birthday and we went all out, you know, and it was in August. And so now we're doing it again for Halloween. We got the pinata. We are making my husband into a human pinata where we'll glue candy all over him. The kids have to chase him down and grab the candy off of him. We are making um, those like dirt pudding things with worms coming out of it. We have a bunch of candy games happening. Um, Cairo's going to be Sonic the Hedgehog and he'll have blue hair. Corey is going as a storm. So shit, we're making her hat and she's wearing like a gray dress and there'll be like raindrops coming down. Her middle name is Rain. So we're doing that. She's going as a, as a rainstorm with a big cloud on her head. I am so excited. We're going to have another neon dance party. We're going to play hide and go kisses, which we turn off all the lights in the house. Somebody has to count to 50 while everyone hides and you find them when you get caught, you get kisses. So we, you know, make sure everyone consents to the kisses before we, <laughs> we're working on consent with, with the kids, but making sure that everyone's down with that. But we're, we're doing that. We are going to have a blast. I do have a lot of Halloween decorations, but I'm hesitant to put them outside the house because I don't want kids to think that they can come to my house because they will not get candy. I will just act like I do not hear you ringing the bell, but my kids will get tons of candy through the different kind of games and stuff that we're playing. So I'm excited. And then we're going to watch movies. So we were going to watch the new version of um, The Witches um, last weekend, but we decided to save it for for our big epic Halloween party. So and we're going to do it all weekend because I got like 15 activities planned. And so I'm going <laughs> to Stephanie's face. <laughs> She's looking at me like, girl, what? So I'm going to space it out. So actually, you know, a few things on Friday. We got like Halloween bingo. I got some slime ready to be mixed up. I'm telling you, we going in. And so you can follow my IG live story because that's where I will be posting it. And it's going to be lit. It's going to be lit. We're going to have a good time. So Chanel, you want to adopt me? Yeah. I'm telling oh, you, my home parties be having people like, why did I even take my child to Chuck E. Cheese? I should have just did... What Chanel did, but I will say when we did the birthday parties, because we we split it up. So we had my son's Sonic party during the day. And then my daughter had a neon glow party at night. That next day, I slept for like 16 hours. <laughs> I was worn out. Um, and so that that's why I'm breaking it up over the Halloween weekend. But I think that, you know, my goal with this is for my kids to have as much normalcy as possible and to not feel like they're missing out. So the idea is to create something that they wouldn't have gotten at all. So it's not like a, you know, go room to room and trick or treat with me and my husband. Because <laughs> um, that would have felt really inadequate next to like what Halloween typically is. And so just creating an experience that they wouldn't um, get at, at any other time so that they can look back at this time and have some, some fond memories. So... That's what I'm doing. On that very happy note, we'll move on to <laughs> Ask the CWE. Uh, I should probably ask the CWE. Mm-hmm. 
So this week's question comes from Jamie from Milwaukee, um, and they ask, the Supreme Court nomination is making me extremely nervous about the future in general. What can I do to relieve some anxiety? So Natasha or Chanel, what should Jamie do? Whew. I think that that is a really good question. And I think many of us are feeling anxious about a lot of stuff in the world right now, not just the, you know, I know for young women, the Supreme Court nomination is one of those things that is really nerve wracking. Um, but I think some of the things that I've been doing is looking back at history um, talking to elders and knowing that like this isn't the first time that we faced many of these challenges and that there really there really is a benefit in looking back to see what tools they use to navigate. Um, I think knowing that I think we can get really hung up on um, all the bad and not see the progress and the good, but you should know that there are tons of activists um, for a lot of different issues that that are, that are doing the work that have been preparing for a really, really long time for moments such as these. And, and they're, they're strategizing. And I think you can find, you know, really good organizations to look to, to see what they're saying. I'm spending a lot more time. Like I mentioned earlier, I was watching reversing row. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, how do I learn about, um, universal healthcare and all these things that we're nervous about. How do I prepare myself on a on an academic side? Because I think where the battle is, and I've said this before, is we are in a battle of our minds and for our minds. And I think I see a lot of troubling conversations on my Facebook feed that I'd like to intervene in. It's so much misinformation and disinformation and just a lot of information that people don't know how to weed through. And so I'm, I'm using that as a moment to say, but I'm an educator and I'm learning things. And if I can figure out how to translate what I'm learning in a way that other people can can read it and understand, um, then I think, you know, I could be doing something that is useful. So just finding a place to put that anxiety and that energy so that I'm not, that I'm not just stuck, but what you're feeling is logical uh, to, to feel in this moment. It, it is anxiety producing and we don't know what's going to happen next. But for me, I find comfort in history and in thinking about, you know, my sphere of influence and blooming where I'm planted and how do I, how do I bring people along to, to, to knowing at least at the bare minimum, raising awareness as to why these issues are important. And, um, you know, that, that, that is not the speaking up so that people aren't confused, um, in terms of thinking that that view is the dominant view. Um, I think we are in a place where we, when we, when we talk about the Supreme court, it's extreme minority representation. Most Americans do not think the way, that um, the, the last few justices think. And so knowing that too, that that is not the dominant view has been helpful for me. But I, I understand you being anxious and I think look, look to the past to see how we go forward. I think something that I found helpful is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez did an Instagram live that's going viral again uh, today because somebody made a video using the speech, I guess, that she did and putting it in like a collective of different like news clips and stuff. But basically what she was saying was that um, 
courage doesn't really exist in the moment, that it's only something you see when you look back in retrospect and in hindsight. And that people ask her a lot of the times, like, how do you have the courage to do the things you do? How are you always so courageous? And she says that she was never courageous at all, that she was filled with fear in the moment that she was doing these things, but that um, she used that fear as fuel and to not fall like into cynicism because that's when you like have shown people that you're giving up and there's nothing left to fight for. So I think that that, I think it's definitely more abstract. It's not as much of like a tangible step that you can take, but I think remembering that, that, you know, it's comforting to know that these people that we look up to or that are doing like good things, I guess, that, that are very active in our community and trying to create change, that they also share a lot of the same anxieties and fears that we do, that it's not like we're not alone in being afraid or being cynical about the future, but that it's important that we don't let that sort of despair and negativity like take over and convince ourselves that there's nothing left for us to do so we might as well you know give up or something like that so I think that that has been helpful for me it doesn't take away the anxieties of course because like you can't predict the future and I think that that's the biggest part of why everybody's so afraid because we just like really don't know what's going to happen especially I think in the past year like in 2020 everything's changing so quickly and so drastically that I think now we're feeling more anxious about the future than maybe we did in like 2016, for example. But I think just remembering that, that fear is like, an it's normal for us to feel afraid right now, but that it doesn't necessarily mean that there's nothing we can do. Like fear can be useful in a time like this. Yeah, I also want to just mention that like, even if reproductive justice access is cut off because of like this new Supreme Court ruling um, or their decision-making, women have, uh, women and like femme bodies have always like been having abortions and will continue to have abortions even if they're under the table in the same way that like if things like the ACA or like Obamacare ends up being overturned or overruled like there are like alternative forms of medicine that indigenous people and like other like traditional cultures have also turned to to try to heal um and I think at the end of the day like just to echo what Natasha and Chanel were saying like there we should not be losing hope even if we are extremely anxious during this time because there have always been um methods outside of whatever formalized structure that we have right now to access things that we need um, and on that note, um, I think Chanel will leave, leave us with a quote from this bridge called Our Back. Yeah, so like we do with every episode, I'm going to end with a quote from this bridge called My Back. And I chose this one from Gloria Anzaldua, which reads, And those of us who have more of anything, brains, physical strength, political power, spiritual energies, are learning to share them with those that don't. We are learning to depend more and more on our own sources of survival, learning not to let the weight of this burden, the bridge, break our backs. Haven't we always borne jugs of water, children, poverty? Why not learn to bear baskets of hope, love, self-nourishment, and to step lightly? Thanks for joining us today. See you next week. Thanks.
Bye. Bye.